Welcome to GivePod, Greater Vancouver's business podcast, unpacking the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. With consumer demand for sustainable products, the auto industry is in a period of profound change. BC has the highest uptake of electric vehicles in North America. This comes at a time when the industry is facing significant supply chain issues and raw material shortages. Here in Vancouver, the Open Road Auto Group is the province's largest automotive dealership group with operations in BC, Ontario, and Washington State. Christian Chia is the CEO of Open Road. He founded the company in 2000 after operating dealerships in China, and he joins us today. Nice to see you, Christian. Hi, Bridget. So let's start at the beginning of this journey, if you will. What prompted you to start the company here in Vancouver? Uh, well, thanks, Bridget. I think Vancouver was a natural choice for me. Um, I'm a UBC alum, and I just finished a two-year stint in Tokyo and a tough seven years in Hong Kong. And it was time for me to come back, I think, to a place where I felt at home. And I also had a strong belief in the business prospects of the province and the city at the time with uh, a growing population and a great geography. You know, 2000, uh, that seems like a lifetime ago, especially given the pandemic that we have all uh, been experiencing. But there have been, and I, I did say, profound change in the economy, in our community in the last 22 years. And in your industry in particular, what strikes you as some of the most significant shifts that you've seen? Yeah, the audio industry has changed a lot. Um, and automotive technology has changed a lot as well. And at the same time, I think the way, the ways in which automobiles are distributed and delivered really hasn't changed very much. Um, we are, our business is fo focused on, on a, being a franchise dealership business uh, that was started by General Motors in the 1920s. And the basic premise of this model was that unlike other consumer goods, um, automobiles were not conventional off the shelf products. They need a higher degree of client interaction and they need a greater network for after sales support. And so General Motors believed that the only way to provide that was through a independent franchise network that was able to, to serve clients in every community. But what's happened recently, um, primarily because of the internet and other dynamics, including the electrification of the automobile, is um, these factors have started to upend this model uh, that exists for roughly 20,000 franchisees across North America. Um, and I would say the three greatest drivers of change right now are number one, the internet, uh, which has really leveled the asymmetry in information that, is, that has existed mm -hmm. in our industry for a long time, uh, particularly between the dealership and the customer. Uh, so there, the internet has leveled that playing field and empowered the consumer. It's true. You can go online and sort of build your own car now. And you can find out everything about that vehicle, all the pricing details, mm -hmm. even the, the dealer cost of those vehicles. So the, the internet has changed the, uh, the dynamic and empowered the consumer. I think the second thing that's really driving the change in our industry is the electrification of the powertrain, of the vehicle. 
And why this is changing our industry is because these electric vehicles are, are from an engineering point of view, much simpler uh, in their construct. And so it's highly likely that these new electric vehicles are going to need much less regular service maintenance and repairs compared to internal combustion vehicles. You know, and, and that has a major impact on the franchise dealer because uh, the franchise dealer re relies on a lot of that uh, repair and maintenance work for revenue. And, and it really and, changes and the customer line. journey then, doesn't it? It does. And, and the, the frequency or infrequency of those customers visiting the dealership are also going to change the dynamic because we're just not going to see them very often anymore. And, and then the third thing that's really, I think, changing the industry, and it probably the, the most profound after perhaps the internet, is that um, our industry is surely moving to a direct-to-consumer model, uh, a model that really Tesla has pioneered in our industry, but they borrowed that chapter from Apple. And, and so Tesla has gone direct-to-consumer and with that came uh, a one price model. And a one price model is, is uh, you know, the, the negotiation part of the, the, the customer journey in our industry. Uh, that, that negotiation, that price haggling has always been a great uh, source of frustration for, for the buying public uh, in, the, uh, in the automotive space. And Tesla has found a way to overcome that by going direct to consumer. And so we think Tesla, the internet um, and technology of the vehicle are driving change. And then a lot of newcomers, uh, Bridget, are coming into our industry as well. Like you, you've probably heard of, of Lucid and mm -hmm. Neo, and there's Polestar and Rivian. And in the near future, um, both Apple and Sony have announced that they're planning to enter the automotive space as well. And they are really going to bring, again, more innovation, more change to the business. That's a lot of change to keep up with. <laughs> uh, how does Open Road do that? I mean, uh, you know, even if it was just one of those three factors, if it was just the internet or it was just direct con to consumer or just electric vehicles, it's a lot to continue to innovate and to, to be able to respond to consumer needs. So when you are planning your growth uh, strategies for Open Road, you know, how do you manage so much change? Yeah, you know, I, I think, I think uh, where we... Uh, fit into the equation is um, we need to embrace uh, our manufacturers. We need to build a close relationship uh, with them uh, because they are also very cognizant of these changes and, and they're working uh, feverishly uh, to embrace these changes and to, uh, to change the model uh, in partnership with their franchise, franchisees like Open Road. And, and so we're going to have to embrace our partners and embrace the change. You know, lots of opportunity in change, um, and we'll get to that in a minute, uh, but I want to talk a little about some of the challenges as well that um, your industry in particular is facing, and you know, I, it's great news that there's such great uptake on electric vehicles in our region, and certainly you know, we're a leader in North America, but getting those raw materials for the batteries has been incredibly challenging. And then on top of that, we've got supply chain issues. I mean, how big of a problem uh, are these two factors? And do you see that, um, are, are we, you know, for the electric vehicles and the raw materials, is that something that is solvable anytime in the near future? 
Well, the simple answer is uh, no. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I think there's, uh, you know, the industry is being hit by a perfect storm, particularly in the EV or the electric vehicle space. Um, you know, EV adoption, as you mentioned, is accelerating. And in uh, BC, as you mentioned, we have one of the highest uh, EV adoption rates of roughly 13 to 15%, which compares uh, to an, a national adoption rate of around 5%. So we're out indexing uh, Canada by kind of a factor of three to one. And right now, um, there's a few things that are driving that. Obviously, you've seen the, the price at the pump, and that's certainly helping uh, consumers make the switch. Uh, mm -hmm. British Columbia has also adopted a very strict uh, zero emissions vehicle mandate for manufacturers to hit. Um, so, uh, for example, in BC, um, the target was to achieve uh, EV adoption by, by 2025 of 10%. Well, we're well ahead of that target. And so British Columbia, I think, will uh, impose, again, new stricter targets. And failure to meet those targets by our manufacturer partners uh, will involve uh, heavy penalties uh, of between five and $10,000 per vehicle. So uh, the manufacturers are motivated uh, to, uh, to uh, adopt these vehicles in the market. Consumers are increasingly uh, making that switch, also being swayed by some very generous um, government rebates. Um, but we can't keep demand, uh, keep mm -hmm. up with demand. We have in our portfolio some spectacular models, like um, there's a new Volkswagen ID4, the BMW iX, uh, the, the Toyota BZ, and the Hyundai Ionic 5. In some cases, Bridget, we have wait lists that are, are waiting times that are going to exceed one year and possibly even one and a half years That's to get those vehicles. That's unheard of those kinds yeah. of weights. And so again, you know, it's uh, in every crisis, there is an opportunity and certainly, uh, you know, the federal government has talked about its critical mineral strategy, but uh, the, the demand is just is outstripping supply for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's been a well-documented shortage of chips as well. And uh, these computer chips, look, the, the automotive industry is by and large responsible for that shortage because early in the pandemic, the automotive industry canceled a lot of chip orders in anticipation of uh, reduced demand during the pandemic. That reduction never happened. And so uh, what happened is a lot of these chip producers, which are based primarily in the US, Taiwan, and China, they pivoted uh, their, their supply um, uh, lines to more profitable uh, chip consumers like the gaming console industry and the smartphone industry. Um, and right now, the automotive sector is struggling to convince those chip makers to um, resupply our sector. And one of the reasons why is the auto sector accounts for about 10% of global chip supply, but only about 3% of revenue. So our chips tend to be on the lower end of the value spectrum and hence a lower profitability for the chip producers. And from what I've read, they take a fairly long time to manufacture. So it's not something that can be turned around on a conveyor belt in a matter of days. So this is a, a, a long-term problem. And speaking of which, uh, you know, through all of these podcasts and speaking to business leaders in our region, there has been a common thread regarding talent and, you know, just being able to attract and retain talent. And given that you have 
uh, a number of operations uh, here in BC, but Ontario and Washington State. Is this something that you're seeing uh, within your own organization? Well, the war for talent has intensified, um, and this has actually crimped our ability to grow as well. Uh, we are simply limited by our ability and our, our, our strain on, on our executive and our management team. Um, obviously, we've made some easy decisions like increasing our salary budgets, uh, but we've also um, helped uh, several folks uh, uh, immigrate from the Philippines and Ireland uh, to take up positions in, in the company. We also have a remote workforce in India uh, primarily in the accounting side. And that's worked actually very, very effectively. Um, and actually the time difference is particularly helpful uh, because one team you know, just hands off the work to the other team. So we have a large Canadian team, we have a medium-sized Indian team, and they work uh, kind of lockstep in, uh, you know, in tandem um, uh, on, on our accounting work. Um, what, what we struggle with is more flexibility in the workforce. Being a, a, a 9 to 9, 9 to 8 p.m. retailer, customer-facing retailer, you know, our, our ability to offer flexible work terms is, is more difficult. Yeah, it's pretty hard to go and talk to somebody about buying a car if they're not in the showroom. In the dealership. <laughs> Well, and where we see the, the greatest shortage right now, Bridget, is in technicians. And um, technicians are in, 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 in extreme uh, short supply, but also some of their skills uh, are applicable to the tech sector. And so we've seen a number of our technicians actually migrate to that industry as well. Competition is fierce in that sector, for sure. I was really interested to learn about uh, Open Road's newish venture entering into the residential real estate market with the uh, launch of Open Form Properties. What was the thinking behind the move into the housing market? Yeah, in reality, I guess we've always been in real estate uh, mm -hmm. by virtue of having built and owned the vast majority of our automobile dealerships. And in 2018, we just decided to formalize that function um, with the establishment of open form properties. And this company was tasked not only to build, continue to build out dealerships, but to diversify our real estate platform to include multifamily uh, residential projects and commercial building projects. And, you know, why did we do it? I think partly it's diversification and partly we continue to really like the macro environment uh, for multifamily housing in, in British Columbia and Metro Vancouver. You know, we continue to see stable population growth. Uh, there's an improving public transit infrastructure. And as well, you know, we have very uh, a stable political framework that will continue to make Metro Vancouver, you know, a very attractive place to live. And we know that Metro Vancouver needs housing. We just uh, did a, a survey and 83% of our respondents said that the cost of housing in Greater Vancouver has had some or a large impact on their ability to attract and retain talent. So we know the correlation between having places to live to be able to get the talent. So do you see that you're going to continue to expand in this residential real estate market? Is that something that's in the books? Yes, I think that is the plan. We currently have five multifamily projects. Uh, one office building underway, and the multifamily projects include two rental towers. Um, and each one of them has a unique mission, 
a target demographic that includes affordable housing. Um, and frankly speaking, it sounds like a lot of money, but almost all of our units are priced well under, well below $1 million. So I do believe that you know, the product offering is accessible to younger uh, urban families um, and some first-time buyers. Um, but look, you know, a lot of the policy measures that have been brought into place um, have been focused on what I'll call demand-side taxes that include like vacancy taxes, um, speculation taxes, foreign buyers taxes, and not enough policy decisions have been made around the supply side, uh, including making it easier uh, for developers to bring a housing supply online, uh, making it easier to get through the bureaucracy. And I'm a big proponent of government subsidized housing. And I believe that's on the agenda, but we have not seen a lot of that come online. You know, one of the things that I've appreciated about you being a director on the board at the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade is your input into policy because you've lived in other global jurisdictions, whether it's China, Jakarta, Tokyo, and you've been able to, um, I think, offer some, some feedback and some insight based on what those other uh, jurisdictions are doing. So when you look at Greater Vancouver from you know, a policy perspective, what can we learn from other cities and other provinces that they're doing well when it comes to things like housing and transportation? I know we had a long talk about this months ago, but it seems like there are things that are happening, but there's more for, for this region to do. Well, Bridget, uh, this will not be the first time I mention this, and it won't be the last time. I, I really believe uh, that Vancouver is particularly well-situated, both literally and figuratively, to be a powerful and central Pacific gateway city. And I believe that with Asia's growth and with America's economic power, uh, that we are ideally positioned in the middle to be a great um, center of dialogue, uh, a logistics hub, an academic and thought leadership center, a final financial services leader, uh, a technology hub, and a transit corridor. And each of these ideas brings unique opportunities in business, in academics, um, and in international politics. Um, but to achieve this requires political will, and policy directives at all levels of government. And right now, we don't quite see and have that alignment yet. But this vision uh, to build Vancouver as a, as a great Pacific gateway, um, I believe is, is a very uh, attractive and desirable vision for the city. And, and frankly, just as a comparison, I, I do believe that on a more regional basis, for example, Singapore, um, where I have a lot of family, you know, has succeeded in, in becoming such a gateway, primarily in Southeast Asia. And it has benefited tremendously uh, from that status. Well, and you, you bring up Singapore, and, and I think about competitiveness, and Singapore has taken a number of policy measures to ensure that. And, you know, it's something that the Board of Trade that I speak about a lot is our need to be more competitive, whether it's our tax and regulatory system, uh, whether it's uh, productivity, but these are becoming issues that are really gaining much more momentum and attention uh, because we're coming out of the pandemic. Uh, how, uh, you know, what are some things that we could learn from Singapore that we could be doing better? 
I think is one which you already touched on, which I think um, uh, has incredible merit. And that is, you know, um, a little known fact for one of, I think, the world's wealthiest city states, which is Singapore. A little known fact is that approximately 75% of the population lives in government subsidized housing. And so here you have a city state that is at the kind of sharp edge of the knife in terms of uh, attractive business uh, community, uh, uh, a very, I think, pro-business environment. And yet they've been able to build this incredible uh, infrastructure around, uh, again, public housing and government subsidized housing to make it affordable for everyone. And that's something that, uh, you know, housing particularly, I think is something that all levels of government need to be fully focused on. And um, and certainly something that we talk about at the Board of Trade a lot. Since our housing report in 2019, it's one we'll continue to. Um, want to round out the conversation with maybe a look forward, Christian, and, and bring it back to Open Road. You know, if you were to think back to 2000, would you imagine that you're here? Probably not. So if you're to look out, you know, a decade ahead, where do you think the organization will go? Yeah, I think uh, we'll continue to uh, aim for growth. Um, you know, we're probably one of eight, uh, one of the top eight automotive distributors in the country. We believe that to be successful, we need to be in the top three uh, in terms of scale and size and, and geography and diversity. Uh, so I think continued growth. I think um, you're going to see tremendous amount of change in our industry, and we need to embrace that. And one of the changes uh, that I think will happen is what, I'll, what I call the decoupling of dealerships. So you're going to see more and more um, uh, smaller showrooms, uh, standalone service centers uh, that are more convenient, uh, but perhaps potentially smaller in scale. Um, and I think we need to really embrace um, technology, the omni-channel, and new ways of doing business. Uh, one area I think that uh, where we will probably limit some of our growth is the U.S. Uh, right now, we have some operations there, and we found the two markets to be entirely different in terms mm. of you know, the policies, the labor laws, taxation, but even consumer behavior. So we're going to focus our growth on Canada. Um, and if there's perhaps one regret is that we had not um, grown quickly, uh, as quickly as and as soon uh, sooner across the country. We are largely very, we're BC centric. And if I could roll the clock back, I would have grown across the country much sooner. Well, it sounds like you uh, have got a busy decade in front of you, Christian. And we are very grateful for the contributions to our economy here in Greater Vancouver and for your contributions to the Board of Trade through your time on the board as well. Thank you for the conversation today. Really appreciate it. Richard, thank you very much. It was my pleasure.